You're listening to an amazing podcast from an amazing podcast company. What's up, Mob Associates? Jimmy Naples here, Johnny Ciccatelli. We have a special guest for you today, the one, the only, Michael Francis himself. But before we get to that, we got to thank our sponsors right off the bat, Youngstown Tile. Go bold, go local, go Youngstown Tile. That's right. And, you know, we also uh, got to thank our other sponsor, the Sunrise Inn, the best food in Warren. If you're out in Warren, Ohio, you got to stop by the Sunrise, get some good pizza or some good burgers. They got, uh, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of mob connections themselves just from the Sunrise. Um, we might get to that here with Michael in a second. But, you know, of course, uh, you, you can't stop at the Sunrise without thinking about going to the Robbins Theater. And, and, you know, big show coming up here. We've got Michael Franzese going to do a mob story live from Warren, Ohio. And really, you know, we're just kind of honored to, to have you here on Youngstown Mob Talk, Michael. Thank you for taking the time to join us. Yes, thank you. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so, you know, right off the bat, for any of our viewers who might not know your total background, we don't have to get into everything, but uh, just the cliff notes a little bit. Uh, you're a second generation um, uh, um, born into the mob life, right? You were a member of the Colombo crime family. Um, you know, tell us a little bit about your background um what got you out of the life and what you're doing uh when why you're coming to warren ohio sure well i was pretty much born into the life uh my dad was a very prominent figure he was the underboss of the colombo family uh back in the 1960s so i grew up in it you know grew up in brooklyn uh but my dad originally didn't want this life for me he wanted me to go to school get an education actually be a doctor and I was on that road until he got in some real trouble. He was very high profile, major target of law enforcement, indicted several times in New York, and finally convicted on a, um, a big conspiracy case to uh, mastermind a, a number of bank robberies in the U.S., uh, convicted and sentenced to 50 years in prison. And uh, I was a pre-med student when he went off to do his time in 1970. I figured it was a death sentence, 50 years. He was 50 when he went in. I got very close with Joe Colombo, who I knew very well. He had the Italian-American Civil Rights League. I saw it as a way to help my dad lose interest in school. And uh, dad and I had a conversation in Leavenworth Penitentiary because he always told me, he said, son, I'm innocent of these charges. I'm no bank robber. And I didn't believe he was. I know until this day, guys, I'll take it to my grave. My father was framed in that case, no doubt. And... Um, so he said, you know, if you're going to help me, he said, then you're going to be on the street. I want you to do it the right way. And he proposed me for membership in the life. And that was back in 71. And I came in as a recruit. And in 1975, I was uh, made an official made member, took an oath on Halloween night and spent uh, from 75 until 95 in that life. When I consider myself formally removed, I was a soldier and then appointed captain in 1980. And uh, the reason I left the life, you know, long story short, I met a young girl who's now my wife of 38 years, a young Christian woman. And, you know, guys, I always say this. I don't I don't try to talk bad about the life because I had a lot of friends there and I didn't leave the life because I was mad at anybody. You know, look, things happen in that life. It's a street life. You get it. You understand it. Things are not always the way you like them to be. But that's the life. You know it going in. Uh, but I left the life because it's very destructive to families. I don't know any family of any member of that life that hasn't been destroyed, including my own. Now, not my wife and kids, but mother, father, brothers and sisters, a disaster. 
And I didn't want that for this young girl that I fell in love with. So I decided to try to make a move. The life was in trouble. Giuliani used the RICO laws very effectively, putting so many guys away. I myself had seven indictments. I had two racketeering indictments in feds and one in the state of Florida. I beat five cases on trial. I was arrested 18 times. It was only a matter of time before I was going away forever. So after I beat that one case, I said, you know, let me try to make an exit. And here I am, you know, 38 years later, and it's it all worked out. Five out of seven cases you beat. Those are uh, you should have been a baseball player. Those are more baseball player odds than, than mobster odds there. So, yeah, I was fortunate. I, I fought hard to beat him. You know, I learned. My dad always, uh, my dad got railroaded, you know, and he always left everything up to his attorney. He didn't get involved in the case. He didn't help himself. He said, that's why I pay a lawyer. And uh, he didn't get represented properly. And then as a result, you know, spent 40 out of 50 years of his life in prison. And so it kind of taught me, you know, I got to be active in my defense. And I worked very, very hard night and day, spent a lot of money to defend myself with lawyers and investigators and Fortunately, I won a bunch of cases where I wouldn't be here either right now. Yeah. Wow. Well, you know, Michael, I, I can understand what you say where, it, you know, it tears families apart. Um, I lost my my great uncle in 1960. Uh, him and his girlfriend were shot on her front porch um, and, and both killed. Uh, and then in 62, I had another uncle that was blown up. And then uh, in 91, I had my other uncle. Uh, they knew him as little Joey Naples. Uh, he was killed uh, across from a house that he was having built. So, you know, I, yeah. I, I get where you're, where you're coming from and uh, it, it definitely is difficult. It does take a toll on the family. I've seen it. I saw it with my grandfather. Um, you know, the man watched three of his brothers die and yeah. he died six months after Joey. And it had to have been of a broken heart because, you know, you just living through all that. Um, it, it, it takes a toll on your soul. It really does. Oh, no doubt. Very, very difficult. And, Look, I watched my mother 33 years without her husband. And uh, if you were to see my mom passed away in 2012 and at the end of her life, I could only call her relationship with my dad as being ugly because she blamed him for everything that went wrong. And rightfully so. I mean, you know, I had a sister died of an overdose of drugs. My brother's a drug addict 25 years, eventually went into the witness protection program, testified against my dad. My younger sister died young. Another one, you know, and, and every family has the same story. So any life that does that is a bad life, you know. And again, I'm real careful not to call the guys bad because I had a lot of friends and I was one of them. You know, who am I to call them bad when I was one of them? I just happen to be fortunate. Uh, but the life itself, uh, you know, I discourage young people all the time. Stay off the street. Stay out of the gangs. It only leads you to, to trouble. Yeah, you, you know, go ahead, Jim. You have something? So uh, I was going to ask you, I know, um, have you had any run-ins run -ins with Joey Naples in your time out there? Um, I know he did some work with uh, John Stanford. They had, uh, you know, like a garbage hauling that they were doing and, and things like that. Had, had you ever had any chances to uh, run into little Joey? I never did, but, uh, you know, oddly enough, I recognize the name. His name came up. I'm trying to think in a couple of instances. Um, I can't place it right now, but the, the name is familiar. Yeah, he was uh, around here kind of after he died. It came out, um, you know, quick little history. I'm not sure how much how much are you aware of Youngstown's mob history? I guess uh, pretty much. You know, I'm going to save some of it for uh, 
sure. for Saturday night. But uh, yeah, I, I have some knowledge of it. We had a little interaction with them. And it was a couple of guys from Youngstown I met in prison uh, when I was away. So when my dad was away, when I visited him, a few guys from uh, Youngstown were in Leavenworth. Yeah. Is there any um, is there any place like this that you can think of that was kind of uh, the small town, really, but it was split between two families? You know, can, is there any other place like that on the on the map here that you can kind of relate and say, you know, oh, yeah, this was kind of like that, kind of like Youngstown? Not really, because Chicago, you have really one family, um, not a small town, but you have one family. Uh, I can't really say in New York, obviously, we have five. Um, but no, I, I don't know of any place like Youngstown. Yeah. There you was know, a real presence there. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know. <laughs> For such a small place, you know, I think at Youngstown's peak, it was about 120, 130,000 people. Um, now the city itself these days is down to about 60,000. Really? But our, met our metro area, the Warren-Youngstown metro area is about half a million. So there's there are people mm -hmm. are here still. They're just more in the suburbs these days as opposed to the city. But, uh, you know, it's still, though, even on those numbers, is a small town when you consider – you know, mob activity. Um, and to have so much influence in this town, I always thought, you know, it was kind of unique, right? We said it was split between Pittsburgh and Cleveland, but the public corruption here was insane. Even even up through the 1990s, when, uh, you know, a lot of people might think that that stuff would be gone, uh, it wasn't in Youngstown. You know, it really took a big federal effort um, our, our, our county prosecutor survived an assassination, um, in 96 and all this stuff kind of happened where, uh, they, they jammed up Lenny Strollo in the end. I'm sure yeah. you're aware of all that. Yes. Uh, and, and, you know, that was kind of the end of what we knew as the mob here, but that was after almost a hundred years of control in this little town. So, you know, I always talk to FBI agents and law enforcement types, and they're always kind of shocked they look at it like is the, the the wild west you know youngstown it was still this corrupt place even into up to 2000 and whatever and uh you know i'm always kind of bringing it up to folks outside of ohio that aren't aware because uh you know people from youngstown know but people from outside of here always kind of just look at us as like iowa cornfields or something they always can confuse ohio and iowa they don't realize there was so much mob history in this area but you know, it really was. You know, and people don't realize, well, maybe some people do, but, you know, there's no other group outside of Cosa Nostra Mafia in this country. There's no other group that ever had the influence politically uh, that we had, yeah. you know, and, and that's why even even your presence in Youngstown was able to do. You say there was a lot of corruption. Well, because guys have a certain way around them to get around people. And these other groups didn't have that. They just they just don't. And you can see it in cities throughout America where our presence was was, uh, you know, uh, how could I say it? It was well felt. Yeah. You know, yeah. in a lot of different areas. And Youngstown is no different. I mean, they had uh, they had they were forced to reckon with there. No doubt about it. You know, people don't realize as well, we have uh, such a large Italian-American contingency here in this, yeah. in this area, the Mahoning Valley. I think outside of, I was reading some census stats, outside of um, New York, New Jersey, I think this this area had, from here to Cleveland, was like the most condensed um, Italian-American population today. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, people are always shocked at that. They always think, oh, you're going to go to Ohio. You know, you're not going to find any good Italian restaurants. Well, I tell you, Mike, when you get to Youngstown, you're not going to have any problem finding a good place to eat. Yeah. yeah, I know that. And even uh, Little Italy in Cleveland, is, uh, that's that's a big presence. That's a good Little Italy. You know, I've been to some in different parts, but Cleveland has a, a nice Little Italy section, really. Well, we've been doing uh, some ticket giveaways for you on our on our Youngstown Mob Facebook page for this event. Um, you know, one of them we said, hey, uh, Mike's kind of probably most famous racket was the gas tax, right? Um, so we, we said, you know, hey, you know, comment below with some other uncommon rackets where you will give away tickets. But just can you explain to folks, you know, what the gas tax scheme was? Yeah, you know, people would love me now if I was back into that scheme because we we dropped prices at the pumps. Because we were taking the tax from the government and giving it back to the people. Of course, we kept a little also. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, they loved us. You know, it, it was a funny time when the FBI actually went to all the major oil companies, BP, you know, British Petroleum, Shell Oil, Mobile. And uh, they said, you know, the mob's uh, moving in on all your gas stations. They're selling the gas. And they made out like they were upset, but they really weren't because we were buying the barges from them storing them in our facilities, selling it back to their own stations, but we were increasing their volume. So they didn't care, you know, nobody cared except for the government. But, you know, basically we devised a scheme. It was myself and, and a partner, and we had the Russian mobsters involved with us out of Brighton Beach and uh, basically to collect the tax and not pay it. And it was a very sophisticated um, scheme. And over a period of eight years that I ran it, uh, we were selling a half a billion gallons of gas a month, taking down uh, between 30 and 40 cents a gallon. So if you do the math, it was a lot of money. And the government had no clue with what we were doing. They, they couldn't figure it out. I mean, I had a team of accountants, uh, and we, we were able to hold them off for 10 months, maybe 11 months, sometimes a year before they came down on us. But I had 18 different companies that were licensed to collect the tax. And all they, they were all ran out of a different office. So when one company went down, we just went to the next company and started going down. You know, it, it was a daisy chain scheme that they couldn't figure out mm -hmm. until my partner, who got in trouble on an unrelated uh, matter, uh, became an informant and he blew the whistle on the operation. But other than that, we had a good run. Yeah, sounds like it, man. That's a, that's a big one. The, uh, and, you know, in, this, in that life, it's all about, you know, how much money can you pull in, right? Yeah. Well, you know, look, you had divisions in that life, like anything else, you know, and uh, Sammy Gravano put it best. He said, we had racketeers, the guys that brought the money in, and then we had the gangsters, the guy that did more of the heavy work. And, you know, the way I look at it this way, a gangster normally could not be a racketeer. He just didn't know how to use the life to benefit him business-wise. But a racketeer also had to be a gangster, because when you were given an order, you had to do it, you know? But obviously, they give more of the grunt work to the gangsters because what else are they going to do to earn their keep? And, um, you know, so I was more of a racketeer, I would say that. And, uh, you know, in our family, the Columbos, we had about 115 made guys, guys that actually took the oath. Out of the 115, maybe 20 of us were earning for the family. And the other 95, you know, who had a no-show job, who had a union job, who was trying to grunt out a living, bookmaker, whatever. Uh, but that's kind of how it works in most of the uh, the families. Gotcha. So if you're an earner, you can uh, get some good protection, go far. But it's those other guys are kind of they're, they're called on to maybe do some things to to earn it in other ways, right? 
Exactly. Exactly. You know, and there's always this, this thing out uh, that, you know, when a contract is put on somebody's life that they pay the people for the contract, you don't get paid for that. This is your job. You know, you take an oath. Your job is to, is to obey orders when they're given to you. Period. I, you don't get I, paid for I talked to a guy who uh, was, I'll just say he was suspected of, of, of doing a few jobs and he told me, and these were his words, but to echo that sentiment, he said, you know, they offered me uh, to become a member and I turned them down because then I would, then they wouldn't pay me for what, the, what they were paying me to do is what he <laughs> said. So I said, wow, I haven't yeah. even thought about that. Well, that's interesting. You know, it's funny, Michael. Uh, let me ask you this. So the guys, you know, that were your racketeer types, those were probably your more charismatic guys, right? The guys, yeah. that were, you know, easy to talk to people and, and things like that. Uh, when I was doing some of the research on my family, I found an interesting uh, little tidbit in the in one of the FBI files that there was a conversation between my grandfather and Sam Giancana. This was, I believe it was like 62 or 63. And Sam tells him, you better get your uncle, your, your brother in, in line or he's going to wind up like your other two brothers. And he was referring to little Joey. And then immediately the conversation went from, from a stern warning to these guys were talking about tickets for Sinatra at the Tropicana. I mean, <laughs> is that what those conversations were normally like? It, you know, they just turn on a dime like that, you know, from one thing to another. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was, it was commonplace. Yeah. Uh, you know, everybody thinks that the life was all about, you know, who's going to get killed, who's going to get beat up, who's going to get extorted. It wasn't that way, you know, trust me. And I hear some of these guys that, you know, I killed a hundred guys. You don't kill a hundred guys in Vietnam. You know I mean? Where are you going to find a hundred guys to kill? For what reason? If you're doing that, I mean, maybe murder incorporated way back when, you know, it was a kind of different era. But in our era, I mean, even in the war, you know, the Colombo family, we, we were always warring. But a hundred guys didn't get killed in a war, you know. In the last war we had, I think nine guys got, no, I'm sorry, 13 guys got killed. And that was a three-year war, you know. So it wasn't all about that. I mean, there was, and listen, you know, when I was trying to be in business with somebody, I didn't want to shake the guy down and have him mad at me. I wanted him willingly to be my partner. You know, we wanted to have the right relationship. And the guys that really succeeded and knew how to use that life, um, that's how they did it, you know. And there's another fallacy that people think we used to sit around in our uh, social clubs and say, all right, what business are we going to target next? You know, other than the unions where we had a very good stronghold in that. But so often it was somebody from a legit business that would come to us. They had a scheme to defraud their company or make a few bucks. So they come to us. They figure we're not going to tell on them. We could finance them. We can help them. So many things that came my way came my way exactly in that way. People came to me. And uh, and so you become their partner and you try to make it work rather than, you know, bust them out. So was there a lot of a lot of like uh, like you would work with guys from other families and stuff and, in, in, you know, yeah. schemes and things like that? How often was was that a thing working with quite them? often? Yeah, I mean, it, it quite often if you had a deal, let's say, uh, you know, maybe in somebody else's territory or neighborhood or whatever, and you brought it. And I said, yeah, let's, let's do it together. Happened quite a bit, especially in the gas business. Everybody wanted a piece, everybody. So, you know, we pick and chose who we wanted to bring in as a partner. Uh, but we work together. Absolutely. Cause I think we get a, like, especially here in, in the Mahoney Valley with the, you know, Youngstown being split between Cleveland and Pittsburgh. Um, 
everybody always thinks that these two were kind of always at war. But I think yeah. I think really what it was is it'd be more or less a disagreement between one person and another, or maybe how much to kick up to who and you know, things like that that would kind of get blown out of proportion. Did, did you see some of that type of thing happen too? Absolutely. But you had those same disagreements within your own family. You know, it was just, it happened. But there were partnerships quite often with guys from, made guys from different families. That was not uncommon at all. And, you know, the bosses, uh, you know, they love that because they're getting a piece of something else, somebody else's action. That's that's fine. Yeah, people think that, you know, that we, we split up and we never did anything together. Not true. We did a lot of things together. You mentioned, you know, a couple of wars and, you know, a two-year war, three-year war, those kind of things. So Youngstown history, the big one was that that war that, that took the life of two of, of Jim's great uncles uh, from 1960 to 1962. Um, it kind of started with uh, the Cleveland family's decision to eliminate Sandy Naples, which was Jim's great uncle. He was kind of the, the head Naples brother in charge, um, but he wasn't a member of either family at that point. And so they got, you know, we have FBI files that uh, from informants back in the sixties that, you know, word came down basically out of Cleveland and they, uh, and they eliminated Sandy Naples and that went back and forth for, uh, you know, a couple of years, two years, you know, several guys were killed and it ended unfortunately with uh, this bombing of the Cavalero, Charlie Cavalero. They called him mm -hmm. Cadillac Charlie um, when he died, he was actually driving a Ford by that point, but he and his two sons were in the car and it was the day after Thanksgiving. He went to take him to football practice and the car blew up. Um, the father was killed. The 11 year old son was killed and the 12 year old survived, but was maimed um, for life there with a horrible injury. Uh, we've been talking now, you know, that son is now 73 years old, Charlie Jr., we're bringing him back to Youngstown in November. He's coming back here and we're doing a, a show kind of in remembrance of, of that moment in history. And that was a big moment in Youngstown because it ended that war. Yeah. You know, truces were, you know, truce was called. Uh, the FBI came flooding into town, put so much heat on everything. It really changed Youngstown for a little while. Um, of course, Youngstown being as corrupt as it was, by the 1970s, it was back to business as usual. But, you know, we talked about those, you mentioned those little wars that happened. And there's been a couple of those in Youngstown's history. But for the most part, like you were saying, both families worked together. Yeah. Um, you know, there was guys would go on burglary crews and, uh, or burglary jobs. And you'd have, you know, they might get pinched. You see some guys from the, this family and some guys from this family. They were working together on some of these jobs. But yeah. it's really interesting stuff. We're, we're historians here. You know, uh, we really just kind of been studying this stuff for 20 years, in my case, in Jim's case, a lifetime, you know. So we really appreciate you taking the time. We know you, you you got a couple minutes left here in the interview. But real quick, for anybody who is just hearing about this show right now, Saturday, September 9th, why should they come check it out? Well, you know, there's a lot of myths out there about the mafia, Cosa Nostra in this country. And look, I live the life and, you know, I've been talking about, I have a big, pretty big presence on social media and I've been out there now for over 20 years telling my story and talking about the life. And so they're going to hear it straight, you know, kind of the history of the life, a little bit of my history, how I got involved, how I got out. You know, it's amazing when I do a Q&A 
it's amazing in the audience, you would think there would be so many questions about the life itself and about the mom. But more people are interested in, Michael, how did you get out of the life? How did your family react? How did your kids react? How were you able to, you know, get through this challenge and struggle? Why are you not dead? You know, stuff like that. So it's kind of people relate to um, transformations in life. People that are having struggles want to know how to get out of that struggle themselves. So they'll get some of that. I always do a Q&A, answer everything, you know, this very, uh, unless I think somebody's an FBI agent and out there for something. <laughs> But I haven't really encountered that. But um, yeah, they'll get a good history of the life. We'll talk a little bit about Youngstown, you know, the knowledge that I have there, a little bit about Cleveland. Uh, but I think they'll really enjoy it. I've been doing this for 25 years, and I can honestly say, guys, I just came back from Italy. I spent three weeks there. I'm going to Australia next month, and uh, I'm on a tour there. I was on the UK last year. I'm going to Cuba this year, leading 100 people on a tour of what the mob did in Cuba before they were ousted and came to Vegas in the United States. And uh, they just get a bird's eye view of the history of that life. And uh, listen, there's no denying the fascination, guys. You know, when I was part of that life, I never realized how intriguing the life is to people outside of the life. You know, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, too. When I first started speaking, I'd come to the Midwest. Nobody really knew who I was. I mean, I had a reputation in New York, maybe a little bit in California, on the East Coast, yeah. But um, the place would be filled up because the mob guy is here. They didn't even know who I was, but they wanted to hear. We'd have standing room only crowds. And it was then that I realized, wow, this genre worldwide is amazing. I'll give you one last story. I'm in Singapore. I'm speaking to 1,800 people in Singapore, right? Singapore. Last place you'd ever think to this to happen. So my host comes in and he says, look, we promised a Q&A uh, for the people. He said, but Michael, don't worry. Singaporeans are very timid. They don't ask a lot of questions. We're going to put a shill in there. I said, great. We'll go home early. No problem, right? Guys, I was there for two hours. I could not believe the knowledge they had. Questions about Gotti, questions about the commission, wanted to know about every movie that was out there, talked about the racketeering indictment. I'm saying, how do these people know this worldwide? Yeah, and you know, look, you, we we can tell you got you got your your hand in so many different things right now. You know, I just watched your show with Chaz Palminteri that you do. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody tuned into those the specials you did with Sammy the Bull. You know, those were huge, and, and I recommend everybody check out Michael's uh, YouTube channel. You know, just subscribe to that for a lot more content. Come out to the show in Warren. Absolutely. If, it's going to be awesome. If, I, I'm excited. I, I can't wait to see it. If you guys are watching this right now, uh, get your tickets now because you don't want to miss this. How many times are you going to have, you know, a real life guy from the life from New York come down to Youngstown, you know, and and uh, in, in Warren, this area, and talk about this kind of stuff. You know, we've been kind of growing. You mentioned the fascinations there. Youngstown's a mob town. It, it was for the longest time. So even the people that are, you know, that are our age that grew up kind of in the next generation where Youngstown's trying to, the Mahoning Valley's trying to figure out its identity now, but that fascination's still there. And we say, you know, we're historians. We like to shine a light on, on the things that happened here in our hometown, um, you know, embrace the uniqueness of that. So, you know, we really appreciate the time. We appreciate you coming down to the Mahoning Valley. We, I can't wait to check out the show. I'll be there. Saturday night, we'll check it out oh, and, uh, you know, really look forward to it. Thanks again, Michael. And, you know, if anybody else has any questions that we didn't ask, come to the show. Michael will do a Q&A 
and uh, he'll answer your, all your questions. So anything else you want to add before we get out of here? No, I appreciate it, guys. I look forward to meeting you both. And we'll, you know, make sure you come back and see me. You know, we'll, we'll get together. But one other thing I wanted to mention, uh, something I'm very excited about. I do have a lot of things going on. But um, myself and Mike Tyson have recently got together. And we're launching a platform called Champions Corner. And the basis of this is both Mike and I, uh, Mike is really interested in helping out young people. He wants to leave a very positive legacy. Right now, as you probably know, he's he's training this fight for Saudi America uh, for uh, that's going to happen in, uh, in, uh, in, in Saudi somewhere, yeah. uh, Arabia. But um, as soon as that's over, we're going to launch this platform. And I think people are going to be very excited about it because Mike and I are going to be personally involved in this. It's going to be a mentorship program that we're both excited about. And we really want to focus it on youth, young people, and help them. Because there's so many kids uh, that we know that are out there in fatherless homes, mostly, that really need a help. And and uh, I think they look up to Mike. Obviously, he's accomplished so much in his life. And hopefully, I can be a positive influence also. And that's coming soon. So it's called Champion's Corner. Uh, when we do launch it, I'll let you both know, and maybe we can jump on and talk about it again. I can get Mike to jump on with us. Love you guys to get bring that to Youngstown. We could use it here. You know, our, our well, yeah. Youngstown could really use something like that. We we want to bring it worldwide. This is going to be a global platform, and obviously we we focus on our own country here, but we're excited about it. Awesome. Nice. That, that sounds great. And hey, real quick, I do have one last question for you. So uh, Jimmy's day job is he's a teacher at the Youngstown City Schools. These teachers are on strike right now. It's a big deal in Youngstown. School year started. Teachers are on strike. I got to ask, what would the mob do to help the uh, a, in a strike situation? Were there was the mob more often than not used to bust up strikes or to like how, how did that work when when it, when a when one of the big unions in New York went on strike? What was the mob's role there? Well, we, when we the unions we controlled, we only threatened strikes so that we can get money out of the money. That was it. We didn't want to see a strike. You know, we want people to go to work because so many of our guys were, were you know, they were the workers. Uh, so, no. Um, and if we wanted people to go back to work, we we made sure that they did. We, we didn't allow strikes all the time. Trust me. <laughs> I got you. Well, well, good luck on the picket line, John. Uh, yeah, I'm going to need it. All right, Mike, thanks so much for joining us. And again, the show is uh, Saturday, September 9th at the Robbins Theater. Um, it's Mob Story with Michael Franzese. You can get your tickets now, robbinstheater.com or at the box office. Check that out. Thank you guys uh, for joining us for another edition of Mob Talk. Again, thank you to our sponsors, Youngstown Tile and the Sunrise Inn. Before you go and uh, see the show Saturday night, stop in at the Sunrise Inn. Um, you know, ask, ask about some of the gangsters on the wall. You'll see some pictures. And uh, you'll hear some good stories. So check it out uh, Saturday, September 9th. And again, thanks, Mike. We appreciate the time. All right, guys. We'll see you Saturday. See you Saturday. Okay. That was an amazing podcast from an amazing podcast company. To watch with video, check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash amazingpodcastcompany. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to leave us a review. It goes a long way in helping other people find our amazing content. For more, visit our website at www.amazingpodco.com.